Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. Thanks so much for the download, whether it's at iTunes or BaseballAmerica.com. We really appreciate it. We're coming to you from the DeMarini Demo House podcast nook here at Baseball America's World Headquarters. And when it comes to buying a baseball bat, DeMarini just changed the game. Introducing Demo House, where you can step into the cage and hit the latest from DeMarini before you buy, because there's no substitute for hitting a real baseball or talking to people who know both bats and batting. Your demo time in the cage is free, Get the season started right and visit your dem- nearest demo house today. Locations and full details can be found at demarini.com backslash demo house. Aaron Fit, big weekend of college baseball. We're getting down to cases. Uh, we could start actually at the top of the poll as we talked about in the pre-show, but now I'm going to veer off and just remembering that the weekend preview, we're so excited in the wee pre as we call it around here in the, the office. Wee pre. Those in the know just call it wee pre. But the wee, in the wee pre, we had Anthony Renato and Drew Pomerantz this epic, epic matchup, arugula, of these two great college starters set to go Friday night, ESPNU, Bright Likes, Big City, Kyle Peterson's in town. That means it's big time. And instead, you get rain delay, game bits banged, and the next day both these guys stink up the great outdoors. Yeah. So it was let down weekend in college baseball this weekend. Just, I guess, to give me a quick uh, uh, assessment of the Pomeranz-Renato showdown that was not well let's see uh anthony renato gave up nine runs on nine hits in one and two-thirds innings um and from what i understand you know maneri said afterwards he just didn't really have his good command he didn't you know his curveball wasn't as sharp he just just wasn't he just wasn't good i mean the, the conditions played a role you know the wind was howling out center field and the ball was flying out of there against both those guys um, and, and the fact that probably both those guys were ready to go on uh, on Friday and then had to you know start again and get ready to go on Saturday, I'm sure that didn't help either. But Ronald just wasn't very good. And Pomeranz uh, walked nine over three innings. That's amazing, really. Um, it is unbelievable. Um, and you know he only gave up five runs, so I guess he was you know the winner in that showcase show, <laughs> showdown. But uh, it's like um, a good price is right showcase showdown. Showcase showdown. But, you know, I mean that, that was a strange series. Clearly. You know, there were mitigating factors with that whole series. I'm not sure how much stock to put into that result. I mean, Ole Miss, give them credit, they swept. Uh, they swept a, a good LSU team, but uh, I'm not ready to to say that Ole Miss is now more likely to be in Omaha than LSU. I, I don't think that's the case. Is the uh, bigger surprise not so much that that game didn't live up to billing, but that Matty Ott got a loss and didn't pitch great? Yeah, how about I mean, Matty that's, that's probably the biggest thing that Ole Miss did. The whole weekend, really, isn't it? They they got to the impregnable impregnable Matty Ott. You could you could make that case, yeah. I mean, that's uh, you know Matty Ott's been just lights out his entire college career. So uh, first loss of the season for him. Um, I mean, he still pitched pretty well. He pitched three and two thirds innings, and um, you know, he gave up one run. Right. So it's not like it was <laughs> it wasn't a exactly meltdown. shelled. Yeah. yeah, you're right. But uh, they beat him though. Yeah, that they they, they beat him. They beat him, and you know, to me, I thought it was it was telling that on a day when Pomeranz and Renato were both terrible. Um, you know, Ole Miss still got an okay start uh, from Aaron Barrett. I mean, he wasn't great, but he was better than those guys. He went six innings, I believe. Um, you know, and, and, and Ole Miss, uh, um, their bullpen was really good. I mean, the, to me, that was the, really, the, the big takeaway here. They had Trent Rothlin and Matt Krause in the pen, uh, these two big junior college transfers that they brought in, and they were supposed to you know, really plug holes and, and play key roles on this pitching staff. Rothlin, in particular, had really struggled in the rotation. Looks like those guys have now found a home in the bullpen, and I think that makes this team uh, much more dangerous. I like that. I like that takeaway. And the other takeaway from the weekend in the Southeastern Conference is that South Carolina gets some validation. They continue to play well. 
best record in the conference at 14 and 4 in conference games for the Gamecocks, who uh, and I'm already forgetting. Well, now they moved to number seven. And granted, it was Georgia, and Georgia has not been very good this year at all. Georgia three and 15 in the SEC. But hard to deny that South Carolina is a team with a little bit different identity than their usual team. They're kind of athletic, number one. They do have the slugging first baseman that they are usually known for. They still do have some South Carolina-type players, but they're pitching this year. And they're not pitching tremendously all the time, but they pitched pretty well in this series, especially in the first two games. And they've been quite consistent, it seems, Aaron, in SEC play on the bump. And it's not just Sam Dyson. It's not just Blake Cooper. But they've been pretty good from start of the pitching staff to the back. Yeah, you're right. You know, Jay Brown's given him some quality innings there. And uh, uh, was he like an eighth-year sophomore or something like that? Seems like he's been there forever. Yeah, it does. Um, To me, though, the, the key for South Carolina is Dyson, and, and Dyson is seems like he's really coming around finally. He pitched a seven-inning shutout, uh, really cruised, I believe, on Saturday. Um, yeah, you know, seven-inning game. And, and that that, uh, that no was walks. a sun, might have been Sunday, actually. Uh, but anyway, yeah, he was he was really good. I mean, for them for them to be an Omaha team, I think they need to have Sam Dyson be what he was, you know, for that stretch last year where he was just – Lights out. Lights yeah. out, 95-98 with, with a hammer curveball. I mean, he, maybe he doesn't have to be 98, right. John, but he's got to be good. And he can't be what he was the first half of this season. And, and it seems to me now like, like Dyson is starting to, to come along strong, and that, that's important. And, yeah. and, and, and Jackie Bradley Jr., their other big star on this team, John, um, you know, maybe took a little time to, to really round into shape. He had that uh, handmade injury. Um, and he came back awfully quick. Came back that. very fast from it. He had a, he had a big weekend, uh, four hits on uh, in, the, in the finale. Um, you know, I think that's that's key for the the two star players there to play well. I just want to say this again. Aaron Fitt was on the he was driving the Jackie Bradley bandwagon. So if anybody tries to say they started it, unless your name is Andrew Kiddick, you're wrong. <laughs> this guy was driving the Jackie Bradley Jr. bandwagon. Actually, I think that Ray, Ray Tanner may have been driving it, or you know, the other guys down there, but. Uh, the other, the big series though in the SEC was your Arkansas Florida matchup. And I think Aaron, we both probably thought going into last week, boy, it's tough tough to see which one of these teams is better. That's a pretty big series win for Florida, which hasn't really been. I guess a, I guess the safe way to say is that Florida hasn't swept a lot of teams. And they really haven't lost a lot of series. Though they've been so consistent, which is really stunning for a team with so many freshmen. But I think they they are the team, I don't want to say they made a statement, but they really upheld uh, the fact that they played a tougher schedule. And even though they didn't have as good a record as Arkansas, we had them ranked ahead of the Razorbacks because they played a tougher schedule. And they upheld that by winning two out of three in that series against a very talented, very hot Arkansas team. You know what, here's something I think gets lost a little bit about Florida. Um, one reason we were so high on Florida in the preseason is because of their depth. Yeah. You know, they're young. But they're very deep. More than and one way to beat you. This team has had a lot of injury issues, John. They haven't had Tommy Toledo. They were without Brian Johnson for a while. That's a great Bryson point. Smith was hurt. We haven't I mean, mentioned they, that. You're right. You know, I mean, On the podcast, anyway. They, they've really had a lot of different uh, obstacles to overcome, and they've been just fine because they're deep. And, and you know, this weekend, they're starting to get healthy again. Uh, Brian Johnson came back and made his first start in a few weeks and um, really, you know, was terrific on Sunday against uh, – 
um, you know, against Arkansas's very dangerous lineup. Um, you know, Bryson Smith was back in the lineup. I mean, there's, there, I think this team, to me, is, is going to be even better down the stretch because unlike maybe some teams that rely heavily on freshmen that get tired down the stretch, again, this team is deep enough that it can afford to give, you know, freshmen breathers when they need them. It, it, can, it doesn't have to really lean so heavily on those guys. Uh, and if those guys do struggle down the stretch, they've got other guys they can plug in. The other thing I like is that you, what, you, what you've written about is how this team has arms on the, in the bullpen that in most SEC schools are really weekend starter arms. Yeah. And that's, again, where that depth plays into it. Some of these guys are young, but some of them aren't young. Some of them are sophomores. But they have enough depth that they can go one or two or three different ways in the bullpen with power. Sure. And then Kevin Chapman's come out of the bullpen at the, as the closer and has been a money closer. And one of their bigger losses you, you thought coming into the year was but they lost Billy Bullock, who was a high draft pick of the Minnesota Twins. They've replaced him and been just as effective at the back of the bullpen, even without him. You know, when, when Bullock and Chapman both came in, the same recruiting class that was, uh, I think we had it as a top ten recruiting class several years back. Uh, and it was Bullock and Chapman, Bullock and Chapman. Right. They, it was, those were the two guys, the headliners in that class. Um, and it, it took a couple of years for both those guys to find their way. But interestingly, both of them did find their way. And, and the scouting reports on those guys out of high school proved to be right on. And then, and then the other key there is, of course, I believe I'm getting this right, Nolan Fontana, their shortstop, right? Yeah, just has absolutely. Just crazy good number. I mean, like, we talk about freshmen, and we've talked a lot about, and you've written about Austin Maddox, and he deserves the press. He's a highly rated player. He's hidden for power. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. But Fontana has one air at shortstop this Unbelievable. year. Unbelievable. 994 fielding percentage. That's just crazy. I mean, you wrote about East Carolina's fielding foibles, and they – I don't think that's why they got swept by Rice. I think they got beat by a better team this weekend. But – when you have a freshman performing at that high of a level at such a key defensive spot, again, Florida, you're not, they're not necessarily going to beat themselves, as a lot of really young teams do. You're going to have to beat them, and guess what? They're talented, too. So uh, impressive series win for the Gators. Uh, again, just kind of sticking in the Southeastern Conference. Um, I guess the other uh, SEC clubs that we've had rated highly, really, this year, Aaron, have all kind of uh, – there's, there's been that gap. Um, and then toward the back of the SEC, we've had these teams – that were all fighting for regional spots. I think we think most of those teams are going to get in, but you did have Auburn win a series this weekend, yeah. and Alabama get, I believe, a series sweep they did. of yeah. Mississippi State. So they're now 8-10 and 10 in the conference, which is a, looks a lot better than 5-10. and 10. Absolutely. Looks a lot more likely that they're going to be a regional team. As you size up just the SEC in general, is it looking still like an 8-9 bid league right now, or where do you have the, the SEC at this stage as we're kind of doing that, that stock wash that you've been doing now on the college blog? Yeah, it's it's at least an eight bid league, and and I think it probably will still end up being a nine bid league. Um, you know, Alabama to me, I, I agree with you. I mean, it was absolutely critical for them to to sweep um, Mississippi State because Mississippi State and Georgia are the two teams in this league, and maybe Tennessee. Those are the the three teams in this league that you really need to beat when you got the opportunity to. Right. Because um, there are no gimmies in this league, and even those series aren't gimmies. But the other teams, you know, the top. Eight or so teams are very, very right. tough. Um, so you, when you've got a chance to sweep a series, you got to do it. So Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, and Mississippi State, those four teams are the least likely to go first to Birmingham for the SEC tournament, and second of all, to get the regionals. Yeah. Which of those teams, out of Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia is not in the discussion at no. 12 and 28. Really, I guess it really comes down to Kentucky or Tennessee. Does one of those yeah. teams 
have a shot to give the SEC a ninth bid. Yeah, I think it's Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky does still have a couple of decent series wins. Um, you know, I think their RPI is still in pretty good shape. And, and as we know, the committee looks at the RPI. And, you know, I think I said in the chat today, John, that I hate the RPI. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that the committee hates the RPI. The committee uses it. And we have to acknowledge that. Um, you know, and, 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 they're, and they're in pretty good shape in the RPI. I, I think that... Uh, Kentucky does have a chance to get that ninth bid. I think if you thought, you look at their schedule, they're going to help their RPI with a game against Louisville. Even a even a bad, even a loss there would be a, considered a good loss because Louisville's strong. They're at Tennessee and they're at Georgia, so those are their remaining road series. But those are winnable series. You know, yeah. Tennessee's going to be tough. Tennessee's got talent. Uh, Georgia, you have to wonder if Georgia's going to be packing it up and packing it in. They seem like they almost have already. Then they're home to South Carolina, LSU. They almost have to win those road series and then hope to not get swept. But I think if they get 13 wins in the conference, uh, they're going to probably be in. I mean, that's you know, just the it, SEC's history. The way their schedule breaks down to me, it's kind of there's high upside and high downside. The way I mean, I think it's good that you've got your your road series are the weaker teams. So right. at least if you're going to win a road series, those you're, are more, you're more likely to win them against those teams, Tennessee and Georgia. If you're going to beat LSU in South Carolina, you're more likely to do it at home. I like, uh, I like but, that reasoning. But at the same time, you could lose all four of those series. That's, I, I agree. And uh, the key here is don't just play teams. Win games. That's my biggest problem with the RPI is it's not enough about winning games. Good yeah. losses almost help too much. Your uh, winning percentage only counts for one quarter of the formula. The rest of it, yeah. the, the other 75% of the formula has to do with your opponent's winning percentage and your opponent's opponent's winning percentage. Yeah, and a lot of that... You know, you can schedule what you think is going to be a good team, and all of a sudden that team turns into whoever. That team turns into Georgia. You think Georgia's a good series that's going to help your RPI, and they're 12-28. and 28. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, can, it can definitely drag you down. It's, I think it's hard to game the RPI, although it can be gamed. We're going to move on to the Atlantic Coast Conference a little bit this uh, on the podcast here, Aaron. Virginia is our new number one. Very difficult decision for us at the top three spots. We had Arizona State number one last week. They won a series, but they did drop a game to Washington. Also dropped a game in midweek to Arizona. Meanwhile, Texas has won how many in a row? Sixteen. 16. Third Six. longest active winning streak in the country. Sixteen in a row for Texas. And Virginia just keeps on winning and winning and winning. Fifteen and six on the ACC. Ten and five versus the top 25. It was a very difficult decision for us. I don't think there's a right answer, to be honest with you. Uh, and I, don't, I think any of these three teams could have been number one. I think the main thing is, it's, to me, seems like uh, when you have Virginia ahead of Texas, it's a reflection that the ACC is that much tougher than the Big 12. Yeah. I think it reflects negatively. It's not Texas' fault, but they're just waltzing all over the rest of the Big 12, and the Big 12 is not doing a whole lot outside the league either. Kansas State was second in the league, and they go and lose a series to Missouri uh, this weekend. So I think that that added a little bit more fuel to uh, – a little more ammunition to our argument that – the Big 12 is just not that strong. It seems like right. it's worked against Texas in this poll. Yeah, and you know, in this case, for me, it actually wasn't that difficult for me. I thought both these teams had really good weeks. I think they're both really good teams, and the team that was ahead moved up. Yeah. Uh, which is what we did last week. Right. We, we had to decide whether to move Texas or Arizona State to number one. Uh, we went with the team that was already ahead in the rankings. They were both unbeaten. Right. You know? um, but uh, that said... You know, I, I thought in the preseason, I think you thought as well in the preseason, that Texas was the best team in the country, and we ranked them number one. Right. And, and, and Virginia was 1A. Correct. But, but at this point, 
you know, ten weeks in, I, I still think Texas is the best team in the country. The poll, I think some people, sometimes, sometimes people don't understand that the poll, um, you know, week-to-week adjustments in the poll do not reflect changes in, in our big-picture opinions. No team is going to run, you know, wire-to-wire at number one. Correct. The poll is supposed to is supposed to reflect what happens week-to-week. Even their loss, their series loss in the opening weekend against New Mexico did not make us think no. that Texas was not the best team in the country. No, we didn't panic and run Texas out of the top 25 after right. they lost to New Mexico. Right, right. Now, I, I think you make a good point about what the poll really means. This is basically a reflection of their resumes to this point. There are times when the resumes are kind of close we're going to say, okay, here's a team that has more talent. But uh, these two teams, I think it's what's clear is here it's toward the end of April and from the start of February, or the end of February, the start of the season, we thought Virginia and Texas were the best teams. And so far, really, haven't seen anything to dissuade us from yeah. that argument. I mean, it doesn't mean those teams were 1-2 the whole time, but those two teams have been so consistent. And a, a key for Virginia, you've talked about it all year, Cody Winarski gives them a really nice start in the series finale, I guess it was. Yeah. And uh, that's been a key for Virginia is finding that third starter to go after Holton and, of course, uh, personal fave, Bob Morey. Uh, how many regional teams are the ACC looking at, Aaron? We've talked during the year about this being a seven-bid league maybe for the ACC. Is it still looking that way? I guess the key of developments over the weekend were Boston College sweeping NC State. Yeah. BC has won eight straight games now. That's a huge series loss for the Wolfpack, who – don't have a great non-conference schedule and really needed a good, in my opinion, gaudy conference record to help counterbalance that. And they had North Carolina go on the road at slumping Clemson and win that series, a very important series win for North Carolina, which is still just 8-13 and 13 in the league, still fifth place in the Coastal Division, but has a lot more. They, they finally have a series they can peg their season to uh, in terms of going on the road and being a Clemson team that right. you know, has a pretty good record. How's the how's the ACC shaping up from your standpoint as far as regional bids go? Well, obviously Florida State, Georgia Tech, Virginia, Miami, and I think you can say Virginia Tech now are right. safe. How about Virginia Tech? How about Virginia Tech going go, go, to go. Georgia Tech and, and and winning a series? We should we're jumping ahead obviously to the, the Hokies, but what have they done the last four weeks of the year? The, the last, last four, four weeks weekend? they're now seven and five uh, at Florida State, home against Miami, at Virginia, and at Georgia Tech. They've won three out of those four series. Three out of four of those series are on the road. They're seven and five through that murderer's row. I mean, Virginia Tech is their schedule has been, um, you know, it's it's by far the hardest schedule in the league the way it sets up. They've got all the toughest teams on the road. They had to go to Clemson earlier this year as well, and and they were swept in that series before they really had found their identity. Yeah. Um, so that's one reason that their record is just eleven and ten in the league. But um, that and the fact they, they gave away a game and they lost a game at Wake Forest yeah. or at home to Wake Forest, which they won the series. Saturday, but that's yeah. it's kind of one you're thinking to yourselves, you've got to win that one. Absolutely. Uh, you got to sweep that one, I should say. Now they have BC, Duke, and that North Carolina attend the season. Two very winnable series in BC and Duke at home. They need to take care of business. And the Hokies will be going back to regionals for the first time yeah. since I think Joe Saunders was there. And you know what? They're better than North Carolina, and they're absolutely capable. They are he better than North Carolina. Oh, no oh, I know. But, uh, I thought you were going to they're better than Miami. No, they're better than North Carolina, and right. they absolutely – I mean, they, they should be able to go into Chapel Hill and win that series. If you can win a series in Tallahassee and in Atlanta. I agree. This year, those two teams, those are much more difficult road trips than going to North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, no, there's, no, there's no doubt about that. So they're they're going to have the, the difficult – the hot teams meeting when they face Boston College next weekend because B.C., doesn't have a great RPI either to get an at-large bid. Well, well, BC, here's where it starts to get interesting, because right. BC is in the mid-40s in the RPI, which is 
Certainly, it's fungible. Absolutely, it's bubble range. It really is. I mean, there's teams that get in with those RPIs in yeah. the mid 40s. Um, you know, and they're now 12 and 9 in the league. I mean, that's that's not bad. Uh, BC, all of a sudden, really, this weekend after sweeping at NC State, I think they are in um, the regional picture, and, and probably you'd have to give them the inside track over North Carolina, wouldn't you? At this point, I mean, oh yeah, oh no doubt. I think they have the inside track over North Carolina, and and, and, and clearly over NC State. Yeah, I NC State to me is out unless they win the automatic bid. I mean, they're they're in the 80s in the RPI. I agree. I mean, there's there's nothing there. I don't agree that they're in the 80s in RPI because that's just a fact. I agree that they're not in the discussion. Is the is really the big thing there? And BC has to go to the Hokies, but they play. Then they finish up at home. Florida State and Georgia Tech. Those aren't easy series. But the way Virginia Tech has played this year, those are winnable series. I mean, BC has played this year. Those are winnable series. They have a guy in Pat Dean. You saw him on Friday. Yeah. They have a guy who on Fridays matches up with anybody, doesn't he? Give us a little quick scouting report for going to CBC, obviously, yeah. which you already know about him. Uh, well, you know, what are their chances of winning those three series against three ranked teams? Well, I mean, you know, Pat Dean, first of all, is he's, he's a potential top three rounds guy. Uh, he's been... You know, he's had some, some soreness in his arm and kind of limited him. He's missed two starts this year, and he was on a pitch count on Friday at NC State. But, uh, you know, he's 89-91. Uh, occasionally, have, in the past, has touched better than that. Uh, really good change up, and, and he'll, he'll work in a slider and a curveball. He's a four-pitch guy. Uh, he's, he is one of, the, one of the better pitchers in this league. I mean, obviously, he's not Danny Holton, and he's not right. Jack McGuire or Holton Matt Harvey. I mean, he's a step down from those guys. But he certainly gives them a chance in any game uh, that they play on Friday nights. But, I mean, BC is... is uh, you know, they don't have Sanchez and Belfiore. Those are two guys that they really miss. But um, they do have good college, solid players, veterans like Robbie Anston with a huge weekend at NC State. Uh, you know, Josh Spatola, another senior who uh, has been hitting cleanup for him and done a good job. Uh, Mickey Wiswall got off to a slow start. But, uh, you know, I talked to Mick Aoki on, on Friday, and he thinks Mickey's starting to come around a little bit. Hmm. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's... That would be, that would, that's a pretty impressive. They're 12-9. and nine. With the guy who was thought to be their best yeah. offensive player, preseason All-American, has not found his his groove really yet. Yeah. So, but but you know one more thing about BC that really struck out, especially in contrast with NC State, is BC executes. I mean, they they make the little the little plays to win. Uh, they play good defense. You know, they they move runners around. Uh, NC State really hasn't done that very well. They've especially played poor defense, um, and that to me was jarring watching those two teams. You tweeted about that, that's for sure. Um, but that was a little bit sloppy. The Wolfpack got a little sloppy. And in the Coastal Division, Georgia Tech coming off a series loss to the Hokies. Virginia, which has won a series against the Hokies, but it was hard fought. Our number one team, Miami, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Duke at the bottom. Uh, we had Duke losing a series to Wake Forest. So it's, they're out of the discussion. North Carolina going to Clemson. And I guess the takeaway from that is, is North Carolina going to be good enough to have a finishing kick? Not necessarily go to Omaha for the fifth straight year, but I think it is a little jarring that you're looking at a team that's gone to the Cosworth Series four years in a row, and they're 25 and 17 and 8 and 13 in the conference. Yeah, they got pretty much a heroic Friday night start out of Matt Harvey. 150 plus pitches it appears was his pitch count, but they needed it because their bullpen has just been pretty atrocious. And then Greg Holt was able to get a save for them on in the, in the finale of that series, but Patrick Johnson had to pitch into the ninth. So they don't have a middle relief, really. They don't really have a bridge, and they blew a lead in the, the game that they lost in that series. I think they were up 5 nothing in that game. So does North Carolina, we think of them as having and the pitching. Do they have the pitching, and do they have the bats that they can finish up? They, they still have Wake Forest at Virginia and Virginia Tech. Can they win enough games to get in that large bid? Here's the key for North Carolina. You've you got to get into the ACC tournament. 
you know, no team that doesn't make the ACC tournament is going to get an at-large bid, and, and it doesn't matter what its RPI is. It's not the SEC, and, and I don't think the committee views that's it the same true. way it views the Big 12. Right. Uh, but, uh, well, that's because its committee hasn't been chaired. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But, but, you know, and, and right now, North Carolina is a game behind, I believe, NC State for, for that eighth spot, and they've still got two, I think, very difficult series ahead with at Virginia, which, you know, they, you'd be lucky to get one there. And then, you know, home against Virginia Tech, which we, as you know, I, I think that's a tough series for them. I, it is. It just um, factually is a tough series so for they, them. So they, to me, next weekend against Wake Forest, absolutely have to sweep. And if they don't, I think they're in trouble. I'm with you. We've got a couple of questions at our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash Baseball America. David Mays asks, being a Beaver fan, what the heck is their issue? I thought we were a lot for the postseason. Now I'm confused. Stanford series, now Wazoo. And UCLA, what's going on? Aaron Fitt, that's will help yeah. us transition into the Pac-10. What's going on with the Beavs? I'll tell you right now, Oregon State's on the outside looking in um, because there are six teams in that league that clearly have better resumes. If you're going to try to make an argument for a seventh team in the Pac-10. Um, might be Wazoo. It might be Wazoo at this point. And, and you know, at this point, it's Oregon State is still in, in much better shape in the RPI than Washington State, which makes a difference. Uh, you know, as much as I, again, hate the RPI, yeah. it makes a difference. Um but Arizona State obviously is in. Stanford made quite the statement this weekend by sweeping Cal. Yep. Cal, I think, is still very much in position to be a regional yeah, team. I think so. UCLA is 29 and seven, seven and five, uh, just grinding right along basically right. for the Bruins now after that big start. Arizona certainly has a nice resume. And, and Oregon. Oregon, Oregon, just having a tremendous year under George Horton. Oregon's resume year. is much better than Oregon State's. Amazingly, it is much better. Um, so that's so six really teams that I think are, are probably, uh, right now, today, those would be the six teams. And, and keep in mind, the Pac-10 has never had more than five teams. And, and granted, they haven't had a full ten teams in their league before. Still. But still, all of a sudden, are they going to jump up to seven? It's uncharted waters to even talk about six. So Oregon State, basically, they're at Cal next week. Then they are home to the Ducks in the... Uh, what do they call it? The Civil War? Civil War. Uh, for, which is a classic for a state. I guess it's actually Oregon was in a state before the U.S. Civil Wars. I believe it became a state in 1850. So I just don't think of Oregon as a Civil War Which side did they fight on, John? They were, they were the Yankees. <laughs> Come on now. Um, uh, to me, I just don't think of Civil War and Oregon as going together. But uh, you got UW, which will, uh, they'll have to show them how the rings look. Arizona State and Arizona still left. So still, because of no conference tournament, that just seems weird, but that's five conference series left. So a lot of time left for the O-State Ballers to get back into it. Boy, it's a tough set schedule, though. I mean, at Washington, or Washington at home is the only one that you think, okay, they should definitely win that series. I think Oregon. They should, uh, they Oregon should State be Oregon Arizona, too. I mean, I'm Arizona. I don't know about Oregon because you just throw everything out the window in the Civil War. But when Arizona comes to town, as far as Arizona being a young team, last series right. of the year, right. from a talent standpoint, Oregon State's got – at least equal talent, and the home advantage should yep. be the You're home right. field should be a, a decider there. So Arizona, I think, is more talented offensively. Oh uh, yeah, no doubt, without question. Oregon State—that's their biggest problem—is they don't hit, and you know, and they've got pretty good pitching, but it, the pitching hasn't been good enough to carry them. They clearly have all their scholarship money tied up in in those arms, and, yeah. and Sam Gaviglio, who I think actually was committed to Western Nevada and was a late commit to. Uh, to Oregon, Oregon State. I just found that little tidbit. I love my Western Nevada-based college baseball program, a junior college baseball program, so i got to give Western Nevada some props. They're all over Sam Gaviglio, just like they were all over uh, Cole Rohrbaugh a couple years back. But I digress, talking about Oregon high school baseball recruiting. <laughs> it's the Baseball America podcast, along with Aaron Fitt. I'm John Manuel. 
Aaron, uh, we talked about the Pac-10, we talked about the ACC, we talked about the SEC. Let's round out just talking about the BCS-type leagues, talk about the Big 12. Uh, we did have Texas continue to run roughshod over the rest of that league, but Oklahoma finally came through with a big series, winning that series against Texas A&M. What's kind of the stock report look like in this in this league as you have Texas Tech starting to make a little bit of a move and K-State getting the gas face, uh, losing that series uh, to Missouri? Uh, what's the rest of the league, what's this league shaping up as a yeah. four bids, five bids? What's, what's your take here? Texas A&M seems like Oof. it's sliding off the bubble. Texas A&M is moving in the wrong direction, but, you know, they did have a big ser- uh, midweek win against Rice. So that's a, a two-and-two week for Texas A&M. I mean, that's not terrible. Um, I think Texas A&M is still in the picture. And, and, and really, I think that uh, Kansas, you know, that's a, that's a tough series loss for them against Texas Tech. Um, you know, and Texas Tech seems to have made its move. I mean, we were really bold with them midseason, putting them in, in the regional. What do you mean with we, a, you? <laughs> I was really bold with them. I'm going to give you them. the credit or the blame. <laughs> uh, with a sub-500 record. And, and since then, I think they've won four straight series I against think, pretty think, good teams. I think when you first brought that to me, I was like, isn't Texas Tech under 500? Are you sure you want Texas Tech in this 64-team field? I kept on asking you to kept trying to give you a way to weasel your way out of it. But you didn't. You stuck, you stuck to your guns. I did. Ah! <laughs> I had to give it the, Her- the Howard Dean for some reason. I almost called him Harold Dean, who was the old point guard of UVA. Yeah, that's right. Day, wow, that's a deep cut. I love Harold Dean's game. I don't know about him as a player. I think he had some off-the-field incidents. But uh, that just tells you where my true loyalties lie. It's college basketball, despite uh, all the talk here of college baseball. Uh, Conference USA is the other big league I want to talk about, Aaron, because we wrote up East Carolina Rice last weekend in the Pre. You just mentioned Rice with the midweek loss. But the Owls seem to have gotten themselves back on the uh, beam a little bit. But how about the fact that Marshall is second in Conference USA? Does that mean that Conference USA is a one-bid league? Conference USA sure looks like a one-bid league right now, John. Um, and, and, you know, in tomorrow's stock report, um, they're going to be, be one-bid league. And Marshall's 20-20. and 20, right, you know? I, know. I mean, it's, it's not a regional team um, unless they get the automatic bid. Uh, East Carolina's not a regional team. No. You know, unless they get the automatic bid. There's no other at-large team in that league. Tulane, John, correct me if I'm wrong, Tulane lost the series to Marshall this weekend. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, that hurts That hurts Tulane a lot. Because I thought Tulane was still the team that I thought had a chance at, at making a run at an at-large. But oh, it was Memphis, I'm sorry. It was, it was Memphis, Memphis. They lost that's right, weekend. yep. Uh, you know, but now, to, now Tulane has lost uh, two straight conference series. Uh, that one really hurts because their RPI isn't great. I, I think Tulane could be in trouble, too. It's a one-bid league right now. Tulane, Tulane, Tulane. I should never do that. I'll be editing that out of the Baseball America <laughs> podcast. But it is amazing, Aaron, that this league, I mean, Tulane's RPI is down at 68. Uh, it's just not a league that you look at and say, and, and the, the crazy thing is when Conference USA got stripped bare by the Big East and some of those northern programs left, the one positive spin that you kind of heard out of Conference USA was now we've got, uh, it's really a great baseball league. And what's happened is it's become Rice and the Seven Dwarfs, basically. But that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know Southern that Miss was in Omaha last year. They, and, they were. And East Carolina was in a Super Regional, and, and Tulane should have been in Regionals. And that should, you know, that, it was it a good year last it year. It hasn't strengthened the league, though, I guess what I'm saying. It's, I thought the league would be stronger, and instead, uh, some other schools have kind of paled in comparison. And it's hard to paper over this year. This is a brutal season for that league. Atrocious. I mean, it's atrocious. It's just, it's, it's awful. I mean, kudos to Jeff Wagner and the guys over at Marshall for being second in the league. They don't have a campus facility. They have like a 500-seat field, basically, where they can, can play on campus or they practice. 
but then they go play at Florida. I mean, at the West, uh, the West Virginia Powers ballpark in Charleston, which is I don't know how far from campus. It's not close. No, it's, it's like not. twenty or thirty or forty miles. I mean, yeah. it's not an easy situation. When you think Marshall baseball, you should think of one thing: Rick Reed. That's their big alum, and who's a bit of financial benefactor of the program, which is great for the former Mets right-hander. But I mean, that's just not an impressive league any way, shape, or form. And the last of those leagues kind of is the Big West, Aaron, which has also kind of been huffing and puffing a little bit this year by its own standards. But some normalcy starting to return to that league. It's no longer Pacific at the top of the standings. you got Cal State Fullerton streaking. Irvine starting to play a little bit better. Let's talk a little bit about the Titans before we get out of here. Uh, I know you're real – you've had faith in the Titans this year, and they're starting to return that faith a bit. What's what's been the most impressive thing about – Cal State Fulton, why are they getting kind of back on the beam as the season goes along? You know, first of all, uh, Daniel Rankin seems to be back. I mean, he's, he's, he was much better this week. Um, you know, Mike Greenlee, their SID over there, says that he's uh, throwing strikes with his changeup now, which made a big difference. And he's, he's just, uh, you know, it took him a little while to get going, but he was, he was their, their ace last year. They needed him to be better, and he has been. And also, they've gotten more production at the bottom of the order lately. They made a change, uh, putting in the freshman Richie Pedroza, um, you know, Sergio's younger Sergio's brother, younger brother um, and also, I guess, Jaime's younger brother as well. That's right. Um, he, he's provided a spark. Um, he's played third base. They've allowed, you know, they've moved Joey Siddons to the outfield, and, and, and Siddons has been hot as well. So those two guys at the bottom of the lineup um, have made the lineup less top-heavy. I mean, it, it, before it was Cologne and Brown and... You know some questions after that. Nick Ramirez has been hitting as well. So I mean they're getting hot. I think we did we did expect them to be a pretty good offensive team coming into the year, um, and and you know we certainly thought they'd be strong on the mound. Um, Tyler Pill continues to pitch very well. Tyler Pill seems like he's been a, kind of a big key there in, in terms of just having to find that balance, uh, being a two-way guy, and uh, he means a lot both on the mound and in the lineup for them. He seems like he's Mr. Indispensable really for them. Absolutely. So I think Fullerton to me is. Uh, as I've said all year, I think they're an Omaha team. Um, you know, Irvine, I'm, I'm not so sure on. <laughs> but, right. Uh, you know, but the third team in that league is Pacific, and they, they're going to mid-90s RPI. I mean, they're, they're not going to make regionals. I mean, unless they really, really catch fire. Um, Does anyone else have a shot in this league at getting in that large bid? I mean, you know, Long Beach has, has gotten some decent wins, but... Um, Riverside's in the 60s in RPI. Yeah, it's, to me, it looks like a two-bid league. And maybe the Pac-10 does pick up that slack. Maybe the Pac-10 does get seven bids that way. I don't know. I would, like you said, it would be unprecedented. The uh, Big West had four last year, and the Pac-10 had three. I believe that's correct. Or is it, it was it was Irvine, Fullerton, uh, Cal Poly. Maybe it was just three for the Big West last year. I feel like it was four and three. I feel like seven teams. To me, I feel like nine teams is what you should take from those two leagues. And you, I mean, not, you shouldn't even limit it. You know, you really shouldn't limit it. You just take the you just take the best teams in the country if you're trying to pick six best 64 teams, which they say they are. Yeah. And you're trying to pick the best 34 at-large teams, which they say they're doing. More often than not, they should be drawing more of those from the West. But you know, the the West Coast Conference is probably a one-bid league, maybe a two. If it's, if it's, Portland wins the conference, that's the key. And then San Diego, which re-enters the poll, is the second team. Then maybe you've got two. But, but it's worth noting that but someone has that to pick the, up the slack from the Big West and Conference USA. And it's worth noting that, that the West Coast Conference no longer has their best of three championship series. So that struck me as news. Yeah, it should not have, but it did. So you know that that takes away you know some of the opportunity for the second place team like Gonzaga last year to go in there and or, you know maybe Gonzaga won the league in regular season last year. I'm, I'm hazy. Well, right, but I know what you're talking it take, about. It takes away you know if, if Portland finished second you know three games behind San Diego in the regular season. This year they wouldn't be in. Last year they would have had a chance to win a you know best of three series to get in. 
I think there's some leagues like the Big West and Conference USA, the Big 12. They're going to leave some bids they usually take out on the table. And those are the Pac-10 and the ACC are among the larger leagues that are in shape to scoop up some of those to wrap up the podcast here. And what are some other leagues that might be getting, might be positioned to get more bids than they usually get? Um, is there, are there more teams maybe from the Missouri Valley, from the no. Southland, the SoCon? What kind of, what leagues are poised to maybe step in and pick up some of that, uh, some of that slack? You know, the SoCon is in pretty good shape RPI wise. Um, Whatever reason, the SoCon seems to have their RPI figured out. Um, I think they, their main thing is let's play ACC and SEC teams in midweek as often as possible. Yeah, and they play northern teams early that allow them to get you know improve their overall records, and then that of course magnifies itself. I guess that's how they do it. It does seem to feel on itself. You've got Citadel and College of Charleston that are sitting pretty good, and I think there's a chance for a third team from that league, whether it's preseason baseball America sort of favorite Elon <laughs> or Appalachian, uh, State, Appalachian State which if that happens that would be one of the big stories of the year App State which is 18 and 0 outside of the conference and uh 11 and 8 in the conference so um I wish you know they have a 41 RPI with College of Charleston there at 42 and they're coming off a sort of sweep of Stanford on the road um that would be big news if App State got an yeah. at-large bid. That right. I, I, I'm confident in saying that has never, ever happened. I think the other league we talked about would be swooping in a little bit there is the Big East. The Big and East is the one that I could see being a three-bid league this year. Because um, it won't be the Big Ten. It won't be the Big Ten. I mean, and, and when you consider the fact that the Big Ten got three bids last year, there's no reason the Big East can't get three bids this year. Big East has gotten three bids before. Is there any way in heck it gets four? Uh, you know, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think you can completely rule it out, but, you know, Rutgers was in the mix, and then this week they, uh, you know, they got swept by UConn. I think that hurt their chances a lot, but, uh, um, you know. How about UConn? How many games in a row have they won? 21? 21 straight, longest streak in the nation. That is, so that's the third streak of 20 or more wins this year after Arizona State and UCLA did it to start yeah. the year, UConn doing it. Now in games, including conference games, which I just think is, no matter what league you're in, that's ridiculously and impressive. You know what? Even the weeks when they've, they, you know, like last week they played Georgetown. Right. But you know what? They, that was a five-game week for them. Yeah, this you're right. week I think John was a six-game week for them, uh, and they went six and zero. Oh. I mean, that's hard. I don't care who you're playing. It's hard to go six and zero, oh, especially when you're sweeping a team Rutgers that was was tied with them atop the conference standings. Um, that's give them credit. And, you know, Lelo Prado's got that team in South Florida finally turned around, as several coaches <laughs> early in the year told us what happened. So you've got UConn, you've got Pitt, and Louisville. Uh, Louisville's in the top ten in RPI and really has yeah. got a shot if they were able to win the conference regular season and the tournament. I think at a number one seed in the host, but maybe even a top eight national seed, potentially. Yeah, I think they're going to host a regional. I think that's right. very, very safe. I mean, and unless Pitt, they fall apart. Pitt and UConn are positioning themselves for very strong at-large bids, both with top 40 RPIs although those could keep coming down, at least creeping down a little bit because of the Big East. I don't know if there's really a fourth shot. St. John's RPI and Rutgers RPI aren't in great shape. Rutgers is the best of those. And South Florida probably not because they're already under 500. But I think the Big East is one of those leagues that's poised to maybe step in there. But I do think there are extra bids for the Pac-10 and ACC. So they could set conference records for most teams sent to regionals this year, which, uh, you know, we did not necessarily see that coming, I don't think, in the Pac-10. I think we maybe did in the ACC, but not necessarily in the Pac-10. I think we thought the Pac-10 would be strong, but that you know the upper class in the Pac-10 isn't great. It's the talent in the underclass that's right. that's outstanding, but right. it's just so good. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll, I'll, way. I'll say, and I'm, I'm very surprised how good the Pac-10 is. Um, you know, coming into the year, I thought that 
I thought there was a chance the Big West could be better than the Pac-10 like it was last year. And uh, that hasn't been at all the case. It's, you're not even close. I think Oregon and... Uh, and Arizona. Air, Oregon and Arizona are the two teams uh, arriving ahead of schedule. Yep. Arizona with all those young players, really a, a lot of addition by subtraction. And then Oregon, just George Horton working the magic. I mean, it's it's so incredible. Obviously, at the end of the day, I have way too much to say, so the podcast has run long. We really do appreciate everybody listening. For Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We want to remind you that when it comes to buying a baseball bat, DeMarini just changed the game. Introducing Demo House, where you can step into the cage and hit the latest from DeMarini before you buy, because there's no substitute for hitting a real baseball or talking to people who know both bats and batting. Your demo time in the cage is free. Get the season started right. Visit your nearest Demo House today. Locations and full details can be found at demarini.com backslash demo house. For Aaron, I'm John. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.